Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you that in the midst of the storm, you are there. And when the waves rise above and our lives are tossed around and there's nothing to cling to, Father, may we just realize that you are there, that we might call upon your name, and we know that you will help us in our time of need. I pray that you would bring this strength and grace to each one here today. As they go through the deep waters of suffering, lift them up. And Father, may we keep our eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles now, um, let's turn to our study in 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. And uh, we come uh, again to the topic that John has been focusing on. And we're gonna, he's going to focus it on one more time next week. Next Sunday, we're going to cover the end of chapter 4. But again, he's putting so much emphasis on the love of God. And then how he loves us, how we love him, and then our love for one another. And you're probably saying, oh, okay, I've had enough. I've heard enough sermons about love, you know. It's almost like you got Valentine's Day every Sunday right now. But this is crucial, crucial truth, I think, for each one of us as we go through those trials and go through the journey of life and gain an understanding again of who God really is, who he is and what he wants to do in your life and my life, even in the midst of the storm. As I sang in that song, it, the one verse said, it was in the night, in the storms of my life, that's where God proved his love to me. And that's what he desires to do is through the storms, he wants to prove to you his love. And so John here, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. John, again, is going to bring his readers to an understanding of the deep, deepest love ever shown, ever found, and that is the love of God. Look with me at verse 12. John writes here, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, if you have a King James Version, it says, it says, God dwelleth in us. And then the end of the verse there, where it says, His love is perfected in us. The NIV translates that word perfected as made complete. That's what it means. It's a way that God 
completes his love in us. It's perfected, completed in us as we begin to know his love and, and, and live my life out with the same love he loved me with. Now, at first glance here, you know, it, we wonder when we read the beginning of verse 12, no one has beheld God at any time. Why would John put that in there? No, well, no one has beheld God at any time. Well, it's important he, that he put this in here because he wants people to understand, yes, no one has seen God the Father, okay, any time. Now, when you think of the Old Testament, we think, well, I remember when Moses of the burning bush or up on Mount Sinai, he saw God. And, and, you know, we have these different occasions where someone meets with God in the Old Testament. But all those encounters, if you will do a study of them, you will find that those are the pre-incarnate uh, appearances of the Lord Jesus. So what John is saying, what's John saying? John is saying here that, that here the... Uh, the important thing to remember is though we have not seen God the Father, when we have looked at the Son, when we've looked at Jesus, we see God and we see his love. And when he says here, when he says, if we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here he's talking about the love that is demonstrated through your life and my life on a day-by-day -day basis that shows the world and shows the other saints in the family of God that I am truly a child of God if I am loving with his love. The Lord gave his spirit his Holy Spirit, into each one of our lives. The moment we trusted Christ as Savior, we were filled with the Holy Spirit permanently. He came to dwell inside of us. And this is key as to where John goes next in verse 13. He's talking about, the again, loving one another. But look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. He has given us of his spirit. So here John is talking about the abiding we know. And remember how many times John says, we know, we know, or, you know, I want you to know this. Here again, he's saying this so that, that we have the assurance. I know that I'm abiding in the Lord and he's abiding in me because he has given of his spirit. He has given of his spirit. It's interesting that this word here, if you look at it, when you, it's easy to miss the end of verse 13. 
he has given us of his spirit. Notice he didn't say he has given us his spirit. He said he's given us of his spirit. Why would he put that in there? Given us of his spirit. The of is speaking of that which the Spirit will give. That Spirit, Holy Spirit gave to me and gave to you the moment we were saved. And we were sanctified, justified before God. And what was that? It was the love of God. It's of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God has given us his Holy Spirit, but John is trying to convey by putting it this way. Uh, he has given us of his spirit. And again, the beginning of that verse, by this we know. By what? What do we know? The, the, that we love one another and that the, the love is being perfected in us because God has given me his spirit, and through his Holy Spirit, I have been given the love of God. That's how I know. Turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. Let's go over to Romans 8. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear here to the church. Romans 8, 9. Look what he writes. Romans 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not what? Belong to him. The Spirit of Christ. Here the Apostle Paul is reminding the believer, reminding all of us, that you and I, we are not f uh, of just flesh anymore. Before we were saved, all I, I was a dead man walking. You know, there's, uh, for years there's been the big uh, you know, promotion in Hollywood and, and other things about zombies. Uh, now, I hope you don't watch any of those. You probably, some of you may go, oh, yeah, I love the zombie movies. <laughs> but there's, the zombies, what are they, of course? Uh, it refers to uh, uh, the living dead, so to speak, they call it. Do you know that you and I, before we came to know Christ and received his Holy Spirit, we were walking dead men and women. We were walking dead in our sin. There was no life in us until the Lord came down and he saved us and he gave us his Holy Spirit. And by giving us his Holy Spirit, that allowed me to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am saved. That I am truly a child of God and I can know that. How can I know by what the Spirit does in and through my life. And this is what John is trying to convey here. John is trying to convey the whole idea of 
what the Spirit produces once He indwells us. And one of the first things is love. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Let's go over to Galatians 5, familiar passage. And Paul, of course, writes about the Spirit in Galatians 5. And <clears throat> Let's pick it up at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that we may not do the things that that you may not do the things that you please but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the deeds of the flesh and he goes into the whole list are evident and we won't take time to read them all but they're all there you know jealousy envy all these things anger outbursts of anger all these things that's deeds of the flesh that's me the old person before i knew christ but I'm still dealing with that old nature. I still have, am dealing with the sin nature that won't be eradicated till I get to heaven. So he, he speaks of this in verse 21. Then at the end of that, he says, Oh, of these things I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice he says the word practice. It doesn't mean do it one here and there, battle it once again, that you're battling with sin and suddenly you get envious or jealous or, you know, that burst of anger. It, 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 that doesn't mean you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. What's, it, what's the word he puts in there, Paul says? Those who practice. In other words, it's my lifestyle. If all my lifestyle is the flesh, and I have basically, I say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet I go and live the way I want. I have nothing to do with the church, God's word, believers, and just I'm living like the world and I don't really care. I've got the question, do I really know the Lord? Does that person really know Christ? Are they truly born again and have the Holy Spirit? There will be a battle. You and I have a battle inside every day the apostle paul again spoke of that that battle between the old man and the new man and so don't get discouraged when the old man starts winning a battle here and there in your life and you go why did i do that lord why did i i fell again lord i committed that sin i didn't want to and we confess our sin, what happens? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I am cleansed by the blood of Christ. I'm washed again, but I am always a child of God. But here, Paul is saying, but there's fruit that is going to give evidence, as John is speaking of, Evidence that you are filled with God's spirit, that you are abiding in the Lord and he in you. Look at verse 22. Here it is, the fruits of the spirit. John then says, but the fruit of the spirit. What is fruit, by the way? I and mean, many of you have 
have, uh, you know, if, how many of you have orchards? Anybody have orchards here? No? Nobody takes care of orchards. But you drive by. How many have a fruit tree? Let's put it that way. Okay, you guys got fruit trees, okay? And uh, <clears throat> does, if you have an apple tree, have you ever produced oranges on it? If you did, come and see me. We're going to make a lot of money. All right? But no, the tree produces its own fruit, right? Doesn't produce some other kind of fruit. And we who are believers and have the indwelling Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, it is, it is the fruit of the Spirit in me that is produced by the Holy Spirit as I allow him to have control over my mind, my heart, my body. And I say, Lord, I want you to help me to live right before you, to please you in all I do. And what happens? Look at, these, look at the fruit here then. And this is, this is uh, the fruit that can come from every and should come from every true believer. But the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one? Is love. Paul starts with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Here is the fruit that is produced. And that's what John is trying to say. That if you are a true believer and you have the indwelling Christ, you and I will produce love. Love will be produced in our lives. Turn back with me then to 1 John. Let's go back to 1 John 4 and look at verse 14. Verse 14. John then goes on and says, And we beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, what's John saying here when he says, We beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Here in this particular verse, when we, uh, uh, those uh, Bible scholars who, who have, uh, have uh, looked at this in context, if you look, keep this in context, John is now speaking about, uh, about his experience with the Lord Jesus in person. And the we refers to the other apostles that were included with him in seeing Jesus. We beheld. See, not everybody has beheld Jesus. We have beheld physically and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He, he bore witness. He's basically saying, I'm an eyewitness of what took place. You know, we have in, if you're following politics and all that's going on, um, you've got this, um, you know, this 
trial going on, uh, you know, the January 6th, you know, they're uh, trying to, um, you know, get those who attacked the Capitol on July 6th. And so they're, they're bringing every witness they can to try and, and I'm not going into politics here, okay? But, <clears throat> but they're, 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 they're trying to bring down the former president and everything else, and, um, and, and everything is, is just, they're, they're, they're taking people, uh, anyone who knew him, and if they're willing, they give them a subpoena if they're not, but they try and put them on the stand, and they want them to be a witness. Okay, what did you witness when you were with the president on that day? And so the witnesses are brought forward. Some claim the fifth. They say, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not going to testify but there are some that have come forward who were around them and basically said that we're, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be a witness. John is saying, I witnessed Jesus. Turn to the first chapter here. Go back to 1 John chapter 1. Look at how he started this letter again. Verses 1 to 3. John wrote, What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld, and our hands handled, they touched Jesus, concerning the word of life. And that's a title for the Lord Jesus. And the life was manifested. And we have seen, and here he says it again, and bear witness and proclaim to you, the eternal life, another name, title for Jesus Christ, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John, at the beginning of his letter, He's saying, I'm a witness. I'm, I testify. That I know this Jesus, the Savior of the world. I met him. I've seen him. I saw him in all his glory. He manifested himself. You recall on the Mount of Transfiguration that uh, Peter, James, and John, they got to see Jesus meet with Moses and Elijah there. Suddenly they appeared on the mountain, and suddenly Jesus allowed his glory one time to be seen by them. And so he glowed, and his glory shone, and they couldn't even look at him. But they, they, they were witnesses to who Jesus is because Jesus showed them <clears throat> there who he really was. And then, of course, they saw all the miracles, and then they saw Jesus uh, rise from the dead. So John is speaking at, uh, as a witness here of, of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior. So if you go back here to John 4, and you see that he says, He is the Savior, the the Father. We are witnesses that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of 
the world. So now John is focusing upon the Savior, Jesus Christ. And now in verse 15, John is going to really come down to where the rubber meets the road concerning whether or not a person is truly saved or not. Verse 15, John then says, after he had, says, I'm a witness of the, the Son of God, the Father sent the Son, the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Pretty much, this is really what it comes down to. Do you want to know where someone's spiritual condition is uh, when you're out there? Just mention the name of Jesus and ask them, so who is Jesus to you? What, what do you think about Jesus? Do you believe he's the son of God? And by confessing, by, when John says those who confess Jesus as the son of God, he is basically saying those who will say Jesus is God. And if you, if you go to some of these other cults like Jehovah's Witness and others, they, they will not claim that Jesus is the Son of God. He is full deity. He is God. They will say maybe he is a God or he's a prophet that God has given power to. But this is the bottom line. Is Jesus God? And if he is, if I make that statement and I confess that with my mouth and believe it in my heart, then I can know that I am truly saved. Because that is what's going to come out of my mouth. But if I hesitate and I wonder, no, I don't know. If, do, do, I, do I really believe that? And, and people will try and, and uh, you know, and, and just make Jesus out to be just a man. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Let's go over to Matthew 16, verse 15. Matthew 16. And here Jesus is with his disciples. And... <clears throat> Verse 16, I'm sorry, uh, verse 15. And he said to them, you know, they were already talking about people say you're Elijah, you are some, you know, prophet, you know, again, any, anything but God, anything but the Son of God. And he said to them, um, but who do you say I am? There's the question. That's how we ask people. If we want to, want to put them on the spot, who do you say Jesus is? Verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Here is that confession that John is talking about in in 1 John 4. Peter is making that confession that Jesus is the son of the living God, which means he is God. But look what Jesus says to him in reply in verse 17. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is Jesus saying to Peter here? He's saying, Peter, you're blessed because you know this and you have confessed it and you accept it. You accept me as God, as a son of God. But you didn't come up with this on your own. This just didn't pop into your head and go, okay, I think I'm going to make him the son of God. No. What did Jesus say? The father has revealed this truth to you. And every single one of us here today, when we came to Christ and we truly believed and confessed Jesus as the son of God and the savior of the world, and he needs to be my savior and I'm a sinner, who gave you that thought and put that in your heart and mind to believe? It was the Holy Spirit of God. It was the spirit that worked in your heart and mind and revealed to us this truth, just like he did to Peter. And so John is basically saying, the one who confesses Jesus as God, you know that God abides in him and he in them. Remember that when John was writing that letter, and let's go back and finish up here in 1 John 4, but here, as you remember, we discussed that John, as he writes, is thinking about the false teachers that have crept into the church. So you got false teachers that have crept into the church, and you know, and they're leading, trying to lead people astray with all kinds of of Gnostic uh, false teaching, and, and one that says, "Well, Jesus was only spirit. You know, he's not really the Son of God. He didn't come in the flesh." And and basically, they 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 didn't claim Jesus to be the Son of God. So so they added all this mysticism and everything, and they're trying to lead people in the church to follow them and say, "Hey, don't listen to John and those guys. We know the truth. We have a higher understanding." And then those who really didn't know the Lord, but they're searching, could easily be led astray. So John is trying to, to say, Christian, te- remember we, we looked back at it uh, at the beginning. Look at the beginning of, verse, uh, of chapter 4, verse 1. Look again at verse 1. Remember John said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, and one way to test those spirits of a person, here John is saying it, if they confess Jesus. And I'm so thrilled when I hear, when I talk to you, dear beloved ones, and I get to speak with you, and out of your mouth comes your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and where your trust is and that, that you, you're, you're holding on to the Lord 
and, and he, you believe he's holding on to you, and you're trusting him, even though you may not understand why he's allowed things in your life, I have seen faith in many of you in the midst of the storm, in the midst of that hurt, in the midst of the pain. And you have, in doing that, you have proclaimed, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, truly the Son of God. And then look at verse 16. John then says, And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Now he repeats, he repeats this, this truth. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It can get confusing, all that abiding and in and, you know. But John uses that a lot, doesn't he? He uses, you know, abiding in him. You are in his love. He is in you. The word in. You know, over the years, we've used the phrase, well, there were the in crowd. You ever, you know, yeah, oh, I can't be hanging around with them. They're, they're, remember in high school, you, you, there was the in crowd. They were, they were the football players, guys who went around and, 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 you know, they were the good-looking guys, the strong guys, and the athletic and everything else. And, and they were part of the in crowd. If you look, look it up, the definition, there's actually a definition for that phrase, in the in crowd. And here it is. Definition of in crowd. A small, exclusive group of people who are perceived as fashionable, informed, influential, or popular. The in crowd. Does that bring back memories when you weren't on the, in the in crowd? Dear believer, this morning, I have good news. You are part of God's in crowd. You are, the in, you are a part of the in crowd of Jesus Christ. Imagine that. The God of the universe, God's only son. You're part of that in crowd because you are a child of God. You're hanging out. You're, you're part of this group called the family of God. There's no greater in crowd than that. Oh, the world won't look at it that way. But God does. And we are blessed. We are truly blessed that we are part of the in crowd and that we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us and we abide in him. And may the love of Christ continue to shine forth from us and from our lives. You know, as, uh, as I spoke with Brother Joe Malfair on Friday, um, he, he told me the news he got that day from the doctor, that the biopsies came back. And he, he shared the news. He, he was hoping it would be good news. But he said, uh, they told me that I have widespread cancer. And uh, they need to do further testing of my bones and other things to, to see how far it's really spread. Now, I didn't ask Joe if I could share this, but I don't think he would mind. But the next thing out of 
Joe's mouth. He said, when I heard that news, the first thing that came to my mind was a hymn. Lead on, O King Eternal. That's what just jumped, that hymn just came to his mind and brought him peace. When the doctor just said, you got cancer spread. He says, that hymn, lead on, O King Eternal. He says, I don't know why I thought of that song, but that's the one that came to my mind. And he believed with all his heart that the Lord was leading him and will continue to lead him no matter what comes, no matter what's down the road. He's clinging to the God that loves him. And he believes that God loves him so much that he is going to meet his every need along the way. And whatever the outcome is, whatever the outcome is, he is going to continue to love God. When Joe said that, that told me how much he loves God. And he knows how much God loves him. There's that fruit of the Spirit. My friends, let's hold fast to the truth that God loves you. And he will always lead you through the storm. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord, dear Christian, perhaps you're in a place right now where you felt unloved by God. I've spoken to some that it's hard to comprehend that God still loves me because of all that's happening to me. You maybe have difficulty with that truth. But right now, would you call upon the Lord's name and tell him, Lord, I don't understand, but Lord, I'm going to love you. Help me to love you more so that whatever happens in the midst of my storm, I know my anchor holds and I know you hold me in the palm of your hand. And you love me so much that you were willing to let your son die in my place on that cross. There is love, the greatest love ever given to you. Hold on to that truth, dear Christian, as you go into the week and you go facing the trials. He will be your burden bearer and he will see you through. Seek to love him and his spirit will help you to do that. If you're here this morning without the Lord Jesus as your personal savior, you don't know him. I invite you right now to accept him by faith. Open your heart right now. And if you understand that simple gospel that Jesus paid the price for you on the cross, took your sins there and died in your place, and you admit you're a sinner, you know you need him to save you. Pray with me now. Would you give your heart to Christ? Pray a prayer like this with me right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner.
and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you love me, and you showed that love by sending your son to die on that cross for me and my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. With our heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now a child of the King. You've been born again. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for any decisions that were made this day for your glory. I pray that you would comfort the saints in their trials and their tribulations. And may they never forget and hold on to the truth that you love them and will never stop loving them. Thank you, Father. And for those who may have trusted in Christ this day, we give you the glory and praise as we seek to love one another with that same love. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.